0: Welcome to the Fed Heads, a weekly podcast from Grant Thornton Public Sector. Join the Fed Heads, Robert Shea and Francis Rose, each week to talk about the arcana of government management and the people who are working hard every day to improve it. Welcome to a new episode of Fed Heads. I'm Francis Rose. And I'm Robert Shea. Because we're in season two, year two of Fed Heads, we're coming back around to topics and exploring the growth, change, trends that we see in topics that we've looked at. Before. Only the rich ones that are worthy of it. Okay, fair point. That's, that's a fair point. And uh, only the guests who really deserve uh, another bite at the apple. All right. And, and you're being very selective. And I have to give you credit because I just show up and you and your colleagues, uh, particularly Adam Hughes, choose the guests and choose the topics and I just come in and plug everything together and say stuff. And you really do all the heavy lifting, so good uh, on you. I think you understate it, but this is not about you or us, it's about them. And them today is uh, Mark Pearl, the President and CEO of the Homeland Security and Defense Business Council. Hello.
1: Good to see you. Welcome
0: back. It's nice to have you here good again. Good to be back. And Tim Haynes, Senior Manager at Grand Thornton Public Sector. Welcome back. Nice Thank to you. see you.
2: Happy to be here.
0: Glad you're here. Mark, I'll start with you. Give me the kind of the overview of what you're here for and the product that you're about to let loose and what you want everybody to take away from it.
1: We looked at, Francis, um, about five years ago, the nature of what we called the state of the Homeland Security Enterprise, which wasn't even defined. Uh, When you still look today at the DHS website, Homeland Security Enterprise is defined as what's going on within DHS. And the Homeland Security Enterprise is so much more than that. It's obviously multiple federal agencies within that. We've looked at that. 51% or more of the federal budget in contracts in Homeland Security is outside of DHS. Mm -hmm. So it includes DOJ, HHS, State Department, Energy, et cetera. It also is public uh, uh, government at the local level. And it's private sector folks who bring what we call the Homeland Security Industrial Base uh, solutions and support to the enterprise. And so we wanted to look at that. And we wanted to look at what is the nature of the engagement models that exist between the public sector and the private sector. Um, Not just talk for the sake of it, uh, but how can we, in essence, engage in greater levels of communication and how can we do things that are within the FAR, we don't need new legislation. We don't need new regulations that would, in essence, change behavior, uh, yeah. impact on the culture, uh, things like. And we'll talk. We've talked about it the last couple of years: risk aversion, mm-hmm. um, and how can we get to a state of play within this thing called the Homeland Security Enterprise that will help achieve a better result and more uh, a successful mission. Tim, who's going to take something away from this? Who should learn? from this
0: to apply it to whatever they need to do to reach the goals that we just heard about?
2: If we do our job the right way, and I think we are, industry t- should take something and government. I think Mark will get into this. The recommendations that have come out both last year and then this year's report are not focused on government needs to do this, industry needs to do this. It's a it's that sense of shared ownership within the homeland security enterprise and how they can tackle these more behavioral changes together so i think there are uh, there are opportunities for both right i think i think that they're also tangible outcomes so that we're not going in and saying homeland security has a, a culture of risk aversion you should change that we're going through the procurement process and mark will get into this more but we're going through and saying there are really good opportunities for joint dialogue, joint exercises, so that we're not talking past one another, but we're actually engaged in getting into the core issues, these underlying themes around industry protests or how to drive innovation. So I think that everybody can take something from and that. And I would,
1: I would just just briefly add, we never went into this with an idea that, in, that as part of a five-year-long project, this is what we call the penultimate year, this is the fourth year of this project – that it would be making recommendations. And really, we went into it just wanting to hear from former government, from current government, and from industry executives, what were the pains, what were the promises, what were the things that they were going through through this nature of the, the process that was, in essence, uh, a lesson learned, a negative, a best practice a positive or other aspects and what came out of last year's which we talked about was the nature of wait a minute there are some recommendations that could be easily applied and and in fact this year's project came out of last year's report which on two issues that have an intersection innovation and protest that were both in essence identified by both sectors as issues as i said earlier are coming at it from a a different definitional point but are still pain points or promise points for both of them. And from that, as Tim is talking about, we were able to, in essence, identify some great, we think, recommendations that will lead towards cultural behavioral changes um, that will, in essence, uh, accomplish what we're looking to.
3: So before we get too far into the details, you know, when we established the Department of Homeland Security We knew it was a complex uh, undertaking, and many said it wasn't worth it, Uh, though we knew it would take a long time. Can you give us your scorecard rating? Where are we now? Was it worth it? How, How much closer to an integrated enterprise are we today than we were the
2: day the department was established?
1: Why don't you take it? Well, that's loaded.
2: I think that we've seen incremental progress.
1: I would say more. I, 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 I believe that this juvenile, you know, this, this 15-year-old is- I know uh, what that is. You know, <laughs> uh, as, as I do too. Um, but the context is is that I, I do believe that there is better defined processes or a desire to see better defined processes that exist. I think that the nature of the problem that gives you, that may give you Mm -hmm. pause, Tim, is the context of this is still an agency that reacts. It's not, doesn't have a headquarters building. So people talk to each other by memo or by conference call from various of the components. It's not an agency that is still in in a unified way. So if you're not in a unified fashion, you approach your quadrennial review as almost your mission statement as opposed to a mission Mm -hmm. statement, then you're always going to be in this reactive posture. And when you're reactive, you're just in essence, putting out whatever the brush fire is that's in front of you. Is it a domestic, you know, terrorist? Is it is it a counterintelligence issue? Is it a a border issue? Is it a an aviation issue? You're always trying to react, and what this process, in fact, was trying to do from the beginning was to say, can we take a step back? Can we take a deep breath? And can we look at those processes? Because the council itself doesn't get involved in the policy. We are only involved in that which is below the fold. How do the processes, can they be put together in a way that can bring industry and government together, whether they're partners or not, as I'm not going to get into, but in in a way that can, in essence, help together achieve that mission? And if we can do that, then I would give the willingness on the part of the department, which has been supportive of this project from the very beginning, I give it an A-plus because it wants to be ahead of the curve.
3: That's great. So uh you're, you're not only giving great encouragement, but you're providing an incredible service in crafting some findings and recommendations you think that contrib- can contribute to greater, faster progress. And
1: that both sectors can embrace.
3: So one of the processes uh, is the acquisition process. And the uh, Department of Homeland Security buys um, uh, uh, more than almost any other organization on the planet. And it's a tool they can use to get the goods and services they need to accomplish their mission. What did you find, and what are some of the recommendations you make to improve the process?
2: So we focused on – let's talk a little bit about innovation, I think, starting there. Uh, And then we'll move into protests. We were focusing on how – largely how government is procuring innovative services. You let me know when I misspeak. Products. Products, technologies, exactly. I think the message there was largely very positive. Uh, there's always some sort of sense of opportunity for improvement, and I think what we found there in this intersection between government and industry, that that only gets better when there's earlier engagement to talk about mission outcomes so that we're not getting to the point of a, uh, an RFP which has very narrow requirements and then gets a very narrow response in return. And I say that because that's where we find that the innovation or the opportunity for innovation is limited. At that point, you're responding to win. And I think that's
1: why we called it the promise of innovation. Uh, In uh, in the context of this year's report, the subtitle was shared vision, shared opportunities, shared challenges. So we view it as we're in this together. But we also say, as the lead title, the, the nature of the promise of innovation and the pain of protest, that's obvious on its face, and it probably goes across all of the federal government. Nothing's different. Mm-hmm. The change in this respect is what Tim and I have been trying to lead in terms of trying to get to in our questions of these folks, which is, okay, in the homeland security mission, what's, is there a difference When you, in essence, want to bring innovation in, you know, when you want to, in essence, look at not what is brand new on the planet, but what may have been used in another agency or what may have been used in the private sector, what in the commercial world. Can that, what are the ways in which those can be brought in and leveraged in a way that will lead to uh, something that will be a better result? What are the obstacles to getting there? And that's what we looked at as well. You know, is do, do is there risk aversion? Uh, do I want to take a chance when there's not a budget for it? Or if I'm if I fail, I'm going to fail miserably and I'm going to be taken to task by my superior? What are the incentives for doing the right thing? Are there, in essence, forums like? Uh, the the procurement innovation lab that DHS has set up that will, in essence, encourage those kinds of uh, taking the chances, taking that risk. And so innovation was really, as it turned out, to be the really driving force of this year's study, I Mm -hmm. would say.
2: Absolutely. You you talked around this, but it was interesting when we had the innovation conversations. We started with the, what are the enablers of uh, innovation, both within government and industry. And overwhelmingly, for industry, it was the mission understanding. I think every sector had that as its top choice. And that's saying you can, you can talk about the solutions that you can bring, but when they're in the homeland security market, unless you have that mission understanding, it's a square peg, round hole.
1: Exactly. No, I think that that's an important piece. Two things come from what Tim's saying. One is... Innovation for the sake of innovation. Some of the RFPs will ask for innovation when they're really not. They're asking for LPTA. You know, give me the lowest price. Oh, it's, you're going to ask also for innovation? Uh, I don't think so. Um, so helping people define the requirements. And also, and I think I even talked about this last year, and I talk about it continually, and so does the acting undersecretary of management, Chip Folgum, We talk about to the left of the buy. Meaning before the RFI, before the RFP, what kind of communication, what kind of dialogue, discussions could take place to identify the problem? And that goes exactly to what Tim was talking about, which is are you experienced in the mission? Do you understand the mission? So you're not just throwing this innovative peg round peg at a square hole. I mean, are you in essence understanding enough so that we can get there? And the more that there's open dialogue, the more that people open up the kimono earlier in the process to identify what your problem is, the better we can bring any of our companies that are members of the council and in the Homeland Security industrial base at large can bring the most effective, efficient, innovative uh, approaches to that, that problem.
0: So innovation is one of the major prongs, hooks of this year's report. The other one that you mentioned is protests. How do those two connect together? And what's what can be done to pull them apart? Because the perception I know, and there, one of the things I asked you last year about this, Mark, was this idea of how the themes that you're working on are similar to what the themes are that groups are working on in the defense industrial base. and. A lot of them are very similar. One of the challenges there is separating the innovation idea from the uh, protest problem, and I wonder what that looks like in, well, in it, the work that you did here.
1: And it's a it's a it's a very valid question because when you go at it, you see it as two separate verticals going in. You got innovation, you got protest. Where you know where's the bridge between them? And we were struck continually by both. What comes out of it, the recommendations, but what went into it? Meaning, people were saying, with regard to protest, that there were positive statements: the accountability of government, uh, the accountability of the of the of the contractor, the nature of transparency—very positive things. Delays—the the what drove, in essence, what what protest happens is: are you are you being articulate in what you're looking for? Specifically. And one of those things is obviously, in some respects, innovative approaches. And so, if you can ask for the right things, sometimes it'll be innovative, sometimes it won't, Francis, I agree, grant you. But the fact is, is that if you ask for the right things to, to achieve, to, uh, to tackle your mission, it will be innovative. And guess what? You'll get the best companies in, the most qualitative companies in, and you may, in fact, and can no guarantee be able to limit the number of protests. And if you can do both of those things, bring in the highest quality of the solution sets and approaches to that solution together with a process that is open, transparent, and in fact encourages the best of breed, you're going to, by the same token, limit the number of protests.
0: Mm-hmm.
2: Can we talk a little bit about transparency? Please.
1: <laughs>
2: <laughs> going into the project this year… One of the big questions our team had is, what do we base these conversations around, right? We've got the basic feedback from last year, and I'm talking only about protests here. We know there are behavioral uh, changes or the behavior is being driven by the potential for protests. Is that a fair statement? Fair statement. But we don't know. I mean, I've been working within Homeland Security for 15 years, and I I don't know beyond the walls of our office and what I hear from our, um, uh, our colleagues in the field, really what's happening in terms of how, how frequently people are protesting, why they're protesting, or if they're successful in that protest. So we wanted to start the conversations with some data. We do know that with GAO, obviously they published an annual report with very high-level data that they send up to the Hill. But we started to wonder what's available at the agency level where Where we're working,
1: and why that would be important to have. Yes, so not data for the sake of the data, but data that would inform the contractor what it needs to do in order to be successful. And that information is absolutely essential. Um, and we had seen things like the RAND study, but it stayed at a top level as well. It mm-hmm. didn't discuss, you know, from the standpoint of incumbent protests. And it didn't discuss, you know, uh, a pre-award versus post-award. Things, those things started bubbling to the top as we were listening to both industry and government in these small groups And we had separate ones for industry, separate ones for government on both innovation and protest. But for the first time ever, we brought industry and government together to discuss these things. And this topic came up continually.
3: Before we started, we were talking about the Open Government Data Act, which is part of the recently enacted Foundations for Evidence-Based Policymaking Act. You may not know this, but I was a member of a commission which made recommendations. Again, that? again so, with sorry, the commission. Sorry,
0: so, every, and anyway. every episode, sorry. every episode, no. he brings that up. And by the way, you may not know I was a commissioner. <laughs> okay, commission That's program.
2: really okay. the okay. only it's reason we brought this up today, because yeah, yeah. I wanted to – we fails. needed to get there. It's okay. a Joe Scarborough
1: moment. When I was in Congress – Oh, my the, gosh. <laughs> yeah. the,
3: the important point here is that the Open Government Act, now law, presumes – it, it creates the presumption that data in the custody of agencies will be made public, and it will be made public in a form that makes it easily uh, accessible and, and analyzable. Um, making that part of the uh, Foundations for Evidence-Based Policymaking, that's all about taking data and using it to learn. So if we don't have access to the data you're talking about, how can we learn what are the basis uh, of protests are they getting worse or better? Um, is there something that leads to more protests than something else? So you want to be more careful in those kinds of acquisitions? We just, that, it looks like we're depriving ourselves of a critical tool in the acquisition learning process.
1: And, com- and government told us they get too, sometimes they get too many responses and they have to sift through those because they don't, you know, every Tom, Dick and Harry, because the number of vehicles may be smaller, or whatever it might be. The bottom line is the more data a company has, the, more, the, the better its response is going to be tailored. And it, the investment dollars towards bringing its capabilities to market are going to be better directed. And that, that's something that, in essence, industry discussed. And that's something that government discussed. And they found themselves you know arguing vociferously on the same side. They
0: loved it. We're um, about to run out of time. Who needs to do something with what you've learned and what you're doing here, and what do they need to do?
1: I will. I'll, let me just go briefly, and then I want to throw it to Tim. Mm-hmm. One is is that government needs to understand that there are best practices that they put together. That they need to be aware of at other agencies, and 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 have a forum which they can take those in. Uh, we've looked at things like the Silicon Valley Initiative, and the, as I mentioned, the Procurement Innovation Lab. Those things need to be continued and be and be supported as much as possible. There needs to be greater use of training. There's no question that the government, FTE, needs more training on how to do debriefs and on how to, in a sense, handle those things in ways that would be helpful. So I, I – also think that we in industry have a responsibility, which comes out of this, is greater public recognition of best practices and greater public uh, uh, recognition of innovation success stories. It, it's always about what didn't work. Mm-hmm. And so that, that's on us as a council, and it's on us as an industry to do those kinds of things.
0: Tim?
2: I only want to add to that, and you covered it very well, on the joint – on the training – I think that's a that's joint training, right? Where it's kind of exercise based, where we can bring in industry and government because we're all learning from each other, and I think that the, any opportunity we can to bring people together, we found it was very successful.
1: Uh, Just in these small discussions, absolutely, groups, let alone mock debriefs or in reverse industry days or opportunities to, in essence, uh, give the industry perspective to PMs. Anything that brings the two sides together in a non-I'm-on-one-side-of-the-table-you're-on-the-other-side-of-the-table I'm forum mm-hmm. will increase awareness, sensitivity, and recognition that we're in this together.
2: Two two quick ones, and I know we're close, but we've talked a, around communication a lot. Uh, if we had more time, that would be a nice theme to dig into. But one of the things that was interesting in that innovation discussion was that – Government and industry need to be able to articulate the wins. I think that the separately or together, when they're when they're developing a new solution or finding a better way to approach mission, they they need to communicate that both uh, with internally to their leadership team to get the buy-in for the next the the next initiative, but also externally with their stakeholders and with their oversight committees and et cetera. Mm-hmm. And then we've talked about the publicly, rec- or, sorry, publicly. Um, making available that protest data. I know we, we had a good conversation about that, but I wasn't sure if it was clear that the a recommendation that's coming out, right, that we, we would like to see that. Yeah. Right, I think that there's a lot to be learned from that on both sides, but we don't uh, until we see it. It's just a perception. It's great
3: partnership between the Homeland Security and Defense Business Council and Grant Thornton, and I love that we're doing what we can to push and advance the uh,
0: enterprise working together to protect the homeland. Tim Haynes, Mark Pearl, thanks very much. Nice to see you both, and uh, thanks for coming back and terrific work. Thanks for listening to The Fed Heads, brought to you by Grant Thornton Public Sector. All of the resources talked about during the episode are available in the episode description. We'd love to hear from you. Connect with us on Twitter at GT Public Sector to join the conversation. And don't forget to leave us a comment or review on iTunes or the Google Play Store.